Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 269 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcasts, or episode three of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I am not joined by Christopher Roche, but you'd be forgiven to think that I was at first listen. Instead, I'm joined by the automotive editor of Ars Technica, Jonathan Gitlin. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Hello, Robin. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Uh, as, as I can tell in your voice and as I appreciate uh, for you to be excited and for joining me at all, uh, John, Jonathan and I have the distinct um, have the distinct honor of meeting each other for the first time for at least 100 times, I think. Probably. Now. I think it's going back to at least 2017. Yes. I have met you for the first time at many races. <laughs> um, Jonathan, being the automotive editor of Ars Technica, what, what does that mean exactly? What is your daily role? So we're a website for nerds and geeks, people who like to know lots of tiny details about stuff. Um, and I'm the person on staff who knows lots of nerdy details about cars. So um, I write reviews. I write car news. Um, I review cars. I get to drive cars. I like to write about racing because I like racing. Um, that's kind of one of the perks of the job is if I get to write about cars, they develop interesting stuff at the racetrack. So, uh, yeah. And that's why our paths have crossed a lot. Exactly right. And that is why... Uh I asked you to be on the show with me today because uh, unlike Christopher Roche, who is someone I met uh, a few years back in in a different capacity, he is a huge fan of motorsport as well, but he's much uh, more strictly uh, Formula One when it comes to closely following. And mm -hmm. you definitely uh, have a wider array, array and wider interest and I was impressed when we first spoke about it of your sports car knowledge, um, far surpassing think, mine in the first 20 seconds. I think endurance racing, but I, I mean, I started watching F1 in 1993 when I would have been 17. But kind of endurance, endurance racing is really, I think, actually the, the, the bit of the sport I love most of all. Um, F1's cool, but. But there's something about endurance racing that's you know that's a, it's more of a team sport. Um, there's I think there's obviously much more strategy. And these days, you know, you'd look at the, the the cars, the level that the cars are designed and developed to at this point. You know, uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours, the Rolex 24, those are sprint races from start to finish. And it's not like F1 where they Basically, have you know, rubbish yeah. rubbish Pirelli tires that you can't push on, and they don't have any feedback. You know, they run good tires from people like Michelin that you can, you know, put double or triple stint and then you have to go back out and do it again. And, you know, no one's, there's lift and coast, but, you know, no one's driving to a lap time like they did in Formula One. So go endurance racing. <laughs> yeah. And I, is that, is that why you do now live in the United States? Were you kicked out of England for not uh, first uh, showing your uh, love for Formula One first and foremost? Oh, no, no, I did. I, I, I think actually I really, the, it was actually when I moved to this, after I moved to the States, I came out here in 2002. So after I came out to the States and started watching obviously a lot more IMSA and also Grand Am because that was back in the days of the split. Yep, So exactly. there was twice as much racing on speed and I tried to watch all of it um, and then realized, hey, I could actually start going to some of these races and, um, you know, for a while we lived in Kentucky and would drive up to mid-Ohio. A huge haven for uh, Englishmen yep. then. <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah, that's that's where most of them live. Yep. Well, there is you know there is a London, Kentucky. But, it's uh, true. That is true. I was I was I was in Lexington though. Um, you yeah. sure it wasn't yeah, you, New Lexington? I mean, I feel like uh, no, no. It's the, uh, well, it's not the first Lexington, but I mean, there's there's hundreds of them in this country, right? Aren't they? <laughs> yes. It's almost as common as Springfield. Yes, it's up there certainly. So, well, anyway, we, we have digressed uh, plenty. I, I appreciate that you're coming on, that you can uh, add some intelligence to what I have to say about uh, the upcoming endurance race, the biggest, you could argue, endurance race in the country, um, although I, you know, some people might make an argument for Sebring. But the Did you see that the Sebring WEC race has been postponed or cancelled because of COVID now? They're not going to race WEC there in March. I'm I'm I, that news. I'm not surprised. And 
frankly, you know, World Endurance Championship teaming up with IMSA. Was it was it 2019? Because it did happen one Se- year. Super Sebring. I we were we were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it it just struck me as odd to have a thousand kilometer race and then a 12 hour event. That just really felt bizarre they, to me. I mean, obviously, I think everyone would have preferred it if it had just been just let Weck join the 12 hours of Sebring. But at the same time, I can see why the people from IMSA didn't want to let WEC turn up and, you know, win overall. Because they had, you know, obviously there was no, there was no LMP1 in, in IMSA. Oh, so. you're talking about a factor of 10 in terms of yeah. price difference of, of the mm-hmm. LMP1 WEC cars versus the uh, right. DPI IMSA cars, the top level IMSA cars. So... But um, so the 24-hour, uh, the Rolex 24-hour is certainly a marquee event, if not the marquee event. But more so than that, it's really just, it's kind of the, the end of the off-season of mainstream racing full stop. You know, mm-hmm. we have, now we have these kind of over-the-winter seasons with Formula E and things like that. But in terms of like traditional big motorsport, this was the beginning of road racing for the year. And yep. it always draws big, big-name drivers, even if they're not racing in the full season. You know, Formula One talent, IndyCar talent, NASCAR talent, etc. And it's always been a, a fantastic event to uh, see the involvement in and participate in. And then IMSA has definitely been on an upswing these last few years. There's some Formula One driver who won it a couple of years ago, Fernando, someone or other. Some Spanish oh, um, uh Al Al Anso, that's him. Were you there that year? I was. Yes, it rained I, a lot, didn't I, it? I, it rained quite a lot, and I was there for about twenty-three hours of it because there was an early flight. And I said, "Yeah, you know what? I will get on that." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it. You know, it. It Lonzo sadly found out after the fact that that was not part of the triple crown. Um, nope, but so, he did get a he did get a Rolex for it. Yes, he did, and I'm sure I'm sure he, he cherishes it. You know, I interviewed Alonso once. He's he's an incredibly intelligent driver. He is. I spoke to him at Sebring. Yeah. Did, have you noticed how big his neck is? Oh yes, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yes. If there were if there were a neck version of arm wrestling, like I guess neck wrestling, I would I mm-hmm. would definitely not. I would not. Uh, compete against no. Alonso. No. Um, so, what what are the big take? What, what are the big things you're looking for for the 2021 Rolex? Uh, there's so there's a few. I think um, obviously there's you know there's been a, a a lot of change in DPI. That Mazda's down to one car. The Penske's are gone, but um, the Acuras are still being the cars are still being raced, but they're obviously not by Team Penske. The, uh, the the introduction of LMP3, which I'm curious to see how this works. So I did a very brief bit of searching before we started talking. Is this the first 24-hour race for LMP3 cars? I, that Because at Le Mans, LMP3 has always ran a separate event. Right. They do like an hour or two-hour race, and, and they've been doing prototype challenge like as an IMSA support race. Yeah, exactly. I always thought... And maybe I heard this on Midweek Motorsport, or maybe I just invented it. Um, but I always thought that LMP3 cars were kind of designed for sprint racing, and therefore they weren't quite as tough as you'd make an endurance racing car. And how's that going to work when you send them around the banks of Daytona for 24 hours? Yeah, this a high-speed, high-load racetrack, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that's fascinating, so that that is an excellent question mark, but the other one, uh, so last week I interviewed Porsche factory driver Patrick Long, and mm-hmm. he made... He's such a good driver. Brilliant driver and just fantastic uh, spokesman. Such he, a nice guy. He's so well-spoken and, uh, and always adds interesting insight. And he made the point that, yeah, the prototype car is, you know, on paper faster than the production-based cars, GTLM and GTD, but those that those are going to be pro-AM classes, mm-hmm. and there will definitely be AM drivers that are not quick in those LMP3s. And when you get to a prototype level, that delta between pro and AM can be pretty big. 
I, I, that's exactly my, my concern. I mean, looking at the times for the first practice session at the RAW, which is obviously the test that they do the week before. Um, which started today, which is happening yep. as we speak. Uh, let's see. So the fastest P, uh, LMP3 car did a 143.6. Oh, and that's not the, that's not far from GTD time at all. Well, the fastest GTLM car was just behind it at one forty three six eight, and then it's then it's a couple more LMP three cars, and then all the GTE cars, and then a couple more LMP cars, LMP threes, and then the GTDs. So yeah, and I think when the when the amateur drivers get in, you know, when it's time for the dentists to do their turn, you know, these these cars are going to be going about the same lap time. As the production-based cars, but I guess one of my one thing I'm curious to see is how they make that lap time because mm-hmm. you know, it might be. I think the GTDs I think will probably be faster in a straight line, but obviously slow around the corners. Yeah. So you know it'll be you might ha- you might see prototypes being overtaken on the straights or on the banking, and then having to dive bomb people in the corners, and that's you know that, that's when you start getting yeah. Portions. And if it rains. At two in the morning, and if it rains, yeah, I mean, there's 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 real question marks to think about here, and it's going to make the racing more interesting. Certainly, I'm I think I'm inferring from your tone of voice that you'd agree with me that it's not necessarily going to be better. No, I I I didn't love it when Prototype Challenge was folded into the main event, and I think. I don't love the fact that LMP3 is being thrown in here. I understand why they're doing it. You know, the commercial realities, if you want to have a full grid and, you know, Petit Le Mans, there were, was it 24 cars on the grid? I mean, obviously, you know, coronavirus, yes, there's a global pandemic going on. You know, it's not a normal time. Um, And I don't think we're at the point, you know, where the ALMS was towards the very end with, Uh you know, grids of like 22 cars. But at the same time, you know, I mean, in a perfect world, I I would not have LMP3 cars racing here. But then in a perfect world, I guess I'd probably have, you know, more GTLM cars and more DPIs. So, well, we're not there. But let's stick what with do you pro- think? I mean, do you think they should be there? No, no, I don't. I, I, I think 38 cars from last year was plenty of cars. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather have a stronger field than a larger field. And and when I when I say that, I mean top quality teams from top to bottom at every level you know i i'd be much happier to see more paul miller racing lamborghinis and uh, ray hall letterman uh, factory bmws etc etc than i want to see big bob's lmp3 race team and of course i'm making a joke here i'm exaggerating but the point is these are there are some real unknowns here and mm-hmm. I'm I'm suspicious of them. I don't think having a 50 car field is what makes Rolex of the 24 hours of Rolex great. I think what makes it great is high quality drivers and a diversity of cars. And I'm also concerned about having five different classes. To me, I would be even happier if there were three. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm still skeptical of having DPIs and LMP2s race. Uh, mm-hmm. Let alone adding an LMP3. It sounds like you're going to enjoy 2022 when they go to LMDH, and I think it's just going to be LM- and maybe it just be LMDH and GTD because I think GTLM is also in trouble. Mm. That's a good question, though, actually, John. Because so I, I know that BMW will be back with its M8s, and mm-hmm. that the 911 RSR actually will be run um, by a couple of but teams. Not as a- but not as a fact that it's being run. It's not being run well, by Porsche, right? Well, Hurley and I actually talk about that. You know, oh. a, a, a touch. No, it's not full mm-hmm. factory. That's correct. But he made the point that when he ran with Peter Gregg and Brumos, Brumos wasn't full factory either. Mm-hmm. You know, so it doesn't mean that there won't be real high levels there. But it's going to be interesting to me that there's going to be two different teams um, with the WeatherTech team. And um, with the Proton team running the cars, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. But getting back to what you're getting at, the, the idea of having one prototype and one production class, that doesn't bother me. And the fact that we have LMPT, LMP2 cars that are only a few seconds off lap time 
of the DPIs and then and then GTLM only a couple of seconds ahead of the GTDs, that makes it a bit more confusing. Whereas if you mm-hmm. said, here are the prototypes, here are the production-based stuff, it's clear, I, it's obvious, go I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and if it was up to me, I think those two classes should be DPI and then GTLM, which is... You know, there's a technical regulation that you build your car to as opposed to GTD, which is, you know, they're GT3 cars. And there's no incentive to build a better mousetrap because all your cars get performance balanced at the beginning of the year or whatever. Mm-hmm. So kind of the purist in me thinks the GTLM would be better. But obviously you can see that development costs are going up. I'm not even sure how much longer Corvette racing is going to be around for. But, um you know, and that that's like what going into twenty first year, but there's been a lot of changes there and I guess the people at GM, Jim Campbell was it Jim Campbell moved on or yeah, he got yep. he got replaced and then loads of people below him got replaced and now Doug Feehan's gone and Ollie Gavin's gonna be racing for Lexus in, in G T D which But I, Nick Nick Tandy is gonna be racing for Corvette. True. Nick Tandy yep. And Nick Tandy is a longtime Porsche factory driver. And, uh, you know, Nick Tandy's name comes up when I speak with Hurley as well. So, And uh, as, as we spoke, we, we discussed on the phone the other day, Nick Tandy wants to drive in NASCAR, which may be surprising to some people, but that's uh, one of his huge, huge racing ambitions. So speaking of high-profile drivers, though, you know, we have um, – we have uh, – Trying to, and Scott Dixon has done a lot of IMSA stuff in between his um, in between his IndyCar success. We have mm-hmm. um, we have NASCAR Cup champion Chase Elliott in the car. Austin Dillon's going to be in the car again. You got you got NASCAR legend Jimmy Johnson. A NASCAR legend, but not but ah, ah no current IndyCar driver Jimmy Johnson current, is current <laughs> IndyCar rookie. Ignicar rookie, exactly. But then you also have a healthy amount of Formula One talent, uh, Kamui Kobayashi, um, Alexander Rossi, who is you know really more IndyCar than anything. Sebastian Bourdais, also more IndyCar than any day anything. Um, but uh, uh, Kevin Magnussen and Robert Kubica as well. So mm-hmm. who 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 among that crop are you paying closest attention to? That's a good question. Uh, I, I know. I ask good questions, John. Yeah, That's what I questions. do. But the drivers who are visiting from other series, uh, I think Simone Pag- Simon Pagano, probably. I, Simon, uh, he's a great guy. Another great driver to talk to. Absolutely um, right. Yep. Really intelligent racing driver. Um, and has, deeply you know, passionate about it. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you can feel, you can feel that he is, he is someone that. You know, all the drivers are, are passionate about what they do, but you can tell that this was really something that he just puts a lot of effort into on all levels, and you just have to really respect him for it. And, like, just the deep happiness he felt when he won the IndyCar Championship a couple years back, you just have to love the man for it. I, he, and he really impressed me in the, when he raced the, um, the Penske Acura last year. So I think the fact that, you know, him and Kamui and Mike Rockenfeller, you know, uh, who oh, the Audi starred sport. in Porsches for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know Rockenfeller um, was among Yeah, he's the, he's the fourth driver of the, the 48. So, you know, so ex, Mike Rockenfeller, ex, he was a Porsche he, factory driver. Did he? Wasn't he? Did Rockenfeller? Well, I, well he, I know he was tied. He was with Audi at Le Mans, I know. Mm-hmm. Did he, did he yep. win any Le Mans with Audi? I know he had that huge accident yes. at Le Mans in... 14 or maybe 15 where that was uh, in fact that was I think it was a dentist wasn't it Bob Kaufman anyway he had that massive crash uh, let's see he won Le Mans in uh, 2005 with Alex Job in a 911 GT3 RSR oh class win yep and yep. then he won it overall in 2010 with Timo Bernard and Romain Dumas okay uh and then let's see, he came third overall in 2012 with Ollie <coughs> Jarvis and Marco Bonanim, Bonami, Bonami. I always get his name wrong. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's his. Um, and let's see, he won actually he won Daytona in 2010 with Action Express in a Riley. Oh, no kidding! Well, in there that, you go. that Riley Porsche. 
that Roddy Porsche, which was, uh, yeah, I think I think you remember that car. But I am thinking, right, I mean, he raced he, he raced the R8 and the R10. And the, I, he, was, mm-hmm. he was with Audi Sport, was he not? He just was never part yes. of the winning team. I, no, that's correct. Uh, yeah. Well, no, he was once. He, was, he, he won it in 2010. In the R15 TDI. Oh, that, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So right. I think he was a Porsche factory driver, and then he became an Audi factory driver, um, and then he's filled in as the third driver at Corvette. So that's probably where the GM link came, and that's why he's now racing for Ally Cadillac at the Rolex. What do you think of uh, Kevin Magnussen? I mean, because Kevin, obviously, he is uh, just on so many levels following the footsteps of his father. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Haas F1, frankly, did a very odd thing by ditching both of its drivers for two rookies in mm-hmm. in in their in their cars for 21. I'm I'm convinced that that was 95% money driven. And yep. um, well, look who they hired. Exactly, exactly. It, it was Ferrari support and money driven decisions. And I think Kevin. Kevin was worthy of keeping his Formula One seat. Um, do you feel like he's going to be... So he's a full-time IMSA driver now. Do you think he's going to be a, a, a force to be reckoned with in IMSA as a result? I, I think it depends how well, I, how well he adapts to the team aspect of endurance racing. Because, yeah, you know, you're, that's a critical point, yeah. You know, he has... In F1, he never came across as someone who made friends with anyone else. You know, he, he like didn't care if anyone liked him. He was there to race, yeah. and no one. And most of his other drivers didn't really like him. And there's, you know, there was a lot of needling in the paddock. Whereas now he's sharing a car with, you know, four other people, and their job is to make the car handle for all four of them as best as possible. And you know, they they're all trying to work together as a team. So if he can do that then we'll see and you know I mean he's got Renger van der Zander and Scott Dixon as his teammates and Marcus Ericsson but certainly you know we know Scott can perform Renger van der Zander in addition to having one of the best names in racing is <laughs> one of the best endurance prototype drivers on the planet right now and I'm he's saying. and he's been in IMSA several years now I mean he's yeah. he's he's well adept to that top level car because he was with I believe Wayne Taylor for a while mm-hmm. and uh uh, and he's raced for, I think, didn't he race for Audi as well in the past? But Sounds he's, correct, I mean, he's, yes. He's one of those guys. I bet, I mean, you look at anyone in DPI. I mean, I'm looking at the you know this timesheet now. You look at the regulars. Uh, Albuquerque, you know, Cash Nevers did a really good job. You know, Ricky Taylor has been oh. amazing. Yep. Um, we, the wheeling car, you know, Felipe Nasa, ex-Formula 1, really good. Mike Conway, I mean, the guy was amazing in the Toyota. He's been really good in IMSA. Pipo Durrani, who again I think is one of the best endurance prototype drivers right now. You have your, your NASCAR guy Chase Elliott. Um, you know the Mazda Ollie Jarvis and Harry Tinknell with Jonathan Bomarito as the third driver. I mean that's a strong lineup. Bomarito is bad luck. Bomarito is is very strong. And yeah, Tinknell. It's, it's ironic because Tinknell at, at Le Mans for several years he was driving a production-based car. He was in the Ford GT at Le Mans. Yes. You know because he's yep, he was, he's tied uh, to Multimatic. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, I think, had Audi Sport, had Audi continued racing in LMP1, he might have ended up an Audi factory driver. Mm, um, mm, mm. But, I, you know, I think, in fact, mate, did Audi sign him for their final year? I can't remember. But um, I know Ollie Jarvis was on the yeah. list, obviously an Audi driver. And I think um, Alan McNish manages Harry. But, uh, oh, is Harry's that so? a great guy. Okay. He's, um, but, and that car is so quick. But they're down to just one car this season, and you know we all know it's not the most reliable at times. I'm still I've, I've been saying it since its debut. If you think about equalizing output, roughly speaking, with balance of performance, mm-hmm. and you're equalizing the output of a 6.2 liter V8 against mm-hmm. a two liter turbocharged inline four cylinder, the mm-hmm. 6.2 liter has a has a massive advantage. That thing is barely idling along, and you know the stress level. The stress level in the combustion chamber itself has to be probably a quarter, because they have displacement and number of cylinders. So you have cylinder rotation advantage, displacement advantage. Cylinder pressure has to be nothing compared to what that Mazda is dealing with. 
And so you're just dealing with a lot less energy to make the same amount of power. And that just opens up this wide variety of options in terms of fuel economy, stressing the motor, all these things to, to make it easy to have reliable balance of performance. I, I just think fundamentally they have such an advantage. Do, do you remember when uh, – did you watch the LMS back in like the mid-2000s? Off and on. So do you remember um, the Intersport team? Yes. Jason John Fields, they were based out of uh, Ohio. Dublin, Ohio, and they used to... They Dublin, which is outside run, of Columbus. It is. Yes. Um, they used to run AER engines, also, two li- those, those two-liter turbos, and would have the wick, the turbo boost, turned up so much on those cars that, like, at the beginning of the race, they would just disappear off into the distance for the first two or three laps and put, you know, seconds on the entire field, and no one would bother chasing them because they always <laughs> knew, you know, give it five laps, the engine's going to bang. <laughs> the, the Masters, I don't think, are turned up quite that high. But, you know, they had their problems. They yeah. had a lot of teething issues. Right. One day they'll bring back the rotary, rotary and everyone will be very thankful. Mm, and deaf. Yeah. <laughs> so I had uh, just a wonderful conversation with uh, IMSA legend Hurley Haywood. He's, he's won the 24 Hours of Daytona five times. He won the 24 Hours of Le Mans three times. He's been uh, tied to Porsche for over 40 years now. And he just, he knows racing so well, and he knows this race better than anyone on the planet. And it was just wonderful to talk to him. And so I want to go to that now. And I also do want to briefly apologize. The audio quality is not very good. That is entirely my fault. And uh, I'm working to improve that over time. But uh, please forgive that and enjoy my interview with Hurley Haywood. Hurley Haywood, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and spending a few minutes to talk about the 2021 24 hours of Daytona, or I guess I should say the Rolex 24. Yep, that's good. <laughs> Get the Rolex in there. <laughs> this is a very different race in, on a lot of levels. The 24-hour race from 2020 was kind of, in a lot of ways, the last major race before the pandemic really took hold of the world. And, yep. and now it's the first race in this season of the pandemic, and it's going forward, but we're still wrestling with different lockdowns in different countries, you know, different levels of uh, ability just to travel, uh, team budgets, you know, economies. I mean, everything is different. So what is, what, what is your opinion about this being this race happening under these conditions? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, all the European um, countries like Italy, France, England, all of those people, all of those countries have pretty much locked down. And tra- uh, when you're a resident, you live in those countries, coming to the United States, you might be able to get in if you've had a recent COVID test, but you have to quarantine for two weeks. So that takes everybody's budget, you know, astronomically. So instead of staying maybe a week in the, in a hotel um, for the race, you ended up staying a month. <laughs> yes. And, and it's, you know, it's, so it puts a lot of strain on the teams. You don't know, um, you know, like in California, my God, um, I've, you know, have friends in California and they just say it is just a wreck here. The hospitals are overflowing. Um, you know, the, the, the virus is out of control. And, you know, I would be really scared if I had to be with somebody that lived in California. Yeah, yeah, and Los Angeles especially, which of course yeah. is the most populous area of California. Yeah, and where a lot of the drivers, you know, live in, in, in California. Certainly, yeah. So, um, but then there's there's also like a little bit more specifically, Porsche has gone through a fair amount of change, and so has IMSA. So, this is going to be a 24 hours of Daytona with five racing classes. With, yeah, with the LMP3s added, and 
this is also going to be a 24 hours with uh, the Porsche GTLM program now under a new team. It's now WeatherTech. Yep. Well, it's going to be an interesting. You know, Tandy was uh, one of the drivers of the fifth of the uh, red, white, and blue car that they painted up in in uh, honor of Brumos. Right, and now he's a competitor. And now he's a, now he's a Corvette driver, for heaven's sakes. Jesus. Yeah. So it, it's just going to be, it's a shame that they had to split up that, that American um, program uh, and just concentrate on the FIA program in Europe. You know, I don't know this for a fact, but you got to think, that there is a long view to Porsche. You know, Porsche doesn't do things short term. They always look for the long term uh, benefit. And I think when you see their drivers going to different programs like like the Corvette um, Le Mans program, uh, the uh, open or not open, but the prototype classes that their drivers are now going to be driving in uh-huh. to get experience driving those cars. So. You know, I don't know that as a fact, but but it if you look at it, it would make sense to get their drivers up to speed on prototype driving. Sure. Or driving, or driving not not prototypes because a lot of those guys drove, uh, you know, the LMP1 car, but uh, which is a whole different <laughs> a whole different platform. But <laughs> yeah, um, it, it just it's they drove those cars. Um, in the European season, not not the whole American season. So it's just it's it's too bad. You know, I always say to guys that ask me my opinion, there are valleys that you get into, and and you know, sort of the the swing of good and bad kind of equals out. So luckily with Porsche, most of the time it's good, but you have these valleys that you have to get through and you just have to be persistent and stick with the with the programs but you know and those guys i you know i think all of them wanted to remain but it just was financially impossible for them to all be under the porsche banner with with so few cars and races to attend so how do you feel about uh the weather tech team um getting going to GTLM with Cooper McNeil, Richard Leitz, Kevin Esther, and Gina Maria Bruni. I probably spell it, I probably pronounced his name horribly wrong. Well, are they, what, what are they in a Ferrari? No, this is that, this is the, this is the WeatherTech racing Porsche team. Oh, it is. Oh, and what, so, but the, um, that Le Mans GT car, they they cancel that program in this in the United States. That's right. So this is like a customer program of sorts. I mean, Cooper McNeil is um, he's a longtime Ferrari Challenge driver, and he was doing Ferrari GT3 driving as well, and yeah. and his WeatherTech team. But now uh, this was a this was a news report that came out um, earlier this year. Um, the number seventy nine WeatherTech Racing Porsche will debut in this in the class later this month at the prestigious season opener, and they're talking about the GT Le Mans class, and they're going to have an RSR. Well, and then I heard you know uh, that Patrick Dempsey's team Proton will have one also. Yes, yes, I've heard that as well. So you know we've got at least you know two. Um, I think the WeatherTech guys. You know, Cooper and all those guys. That's a big step to go from a GT car and a Ferrari or Lamborghini, whatever they were driving, into a into the Porsche. The Porsche is not a particularly easy car to drive at at, at you know nine tenths. But we'll see. I'm sure that they've had a lot of practice in it. Yeah, it seems like you're more knowledgeable of the Proton side of it. I mean, do you feel confident that they will be? able to carry on this isn't a porsche factory team but obviously porsche's being represented by this team do you feel like this is going to be good representation well i think you know you got to remember uh we meaning brumos was a factory team but it, it wasn't a factory team it was a team that was 
anointed by the factory to run their program. And that was th for all of the years um, that Brumos had a racing team at the top level. Sure. So, you know, I think that, that uh, those guys will probably carry the torch and they'll have a lot of engineering assistance um, from Porsche in those programs because um, those cars are not, you know, particularly easy to run. We have one of the cars, a, a car from two, two years ago, in our collection and you know you the whole protocol that you have to go through just starting the car in the morning so it's not just easy like you know 962 you got in turned the key and went <laughs> right, this, right, right this is a you know a whole procedure that you go through just to start the car let alone run for 24 hours sure so you've won the 24 hours of daytona five times through i think it was three decades um, 70s, 80s, 90s, is that right? Uh, yep. Yeah. Is is this, are, are these set of circumstances the craziest you've seen for the 24 hours of Daytona? Or do you have something that you think, nah, it was crazier this era because of this reason? Well, sort of cl classify what you mean by, by crazy from, from, <laughs> what, from what standpoint. <laughs> Um, yeah, I suppose from the, just the, uh, the, just the, oh boy, see that now I'm having a hard time answering your question. Uh, like I suppose just the circumstances going into the race, um, certainly from a global perspective, this has to be the craziest era, but is, does this remind you of a different time that felt equally absurd at the time? Well, I mean, this is the first time, um, you know, I went to Sebring, the 12 hours of Sebring. And, you know, basically, once you were in the IMSA, what they call the IMSA bubble, which everybody has tested on a regular basis, and, you know, you're, you're, the outside people are not allowed in. I mean, it's very, very strict to get inside that IMSA bubble. But once you got outside that bubble and you got into the infield, I mean, it was like nothing was going, nothing happened. Like, you know, it was back... <laughs> You know, pre pre uh, COVID nineteen. So the the infamous Sebring infield, you could say. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. Yeah, but I think that the Daytona folks are a little more uh, strict about it. I don't I really know how many spectators they're going to have there. I don't think anybody's allowed in the infield. I think um, we'll all be in the grandstands uh, or in the suites. Um, so if from that standpoint, it's really weird. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, a lot of team owners can't even get into the into the pits unless they go through the certain protocols that IMSA is dictating. So wow. um, it's, it's just a strange set of circumstances. And, you know, everybody's kind of leery about, oh, I don't want to get too close to such and such because he just came from England which has had a huge big spike or yeah. Italy or France wherever it is so you know it's just uh, it's just a really difficult thing and, and this because of the COVID-19 questions and problems it sets a whole new diameter uh, to the whole complexity of the race and I think that from that from I know you know I know football players who say you know, it's so strange playing in a stadium that usually has, you know, 75 or 80,000 people in it, and there's nobody there. Right. You know, and, and, and the, the applause that you hear on television is taped applause. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he, he says it's really weird that, um, that you, you know, have to deal with this empty stadium. I remember, and I, I know how that feels, because I remember when uh, the first uh, year I went, went to Indy, and you practiced with nobody in the grandstands. And then the first, you know, weekend, the qualifying weekend, you're there, and suddenly your your vision, your sights uh, for, for pickup uh, on points suddenly gets completely obliterated, because... Instead of looking through the through the grandstands for your marks, you're looking at a mass of people in that same place. So you lose 
wow. perspective. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure it's it's the same for for anybody that is used to playing in front of a crowd, and suddenly the crowd is not there anymore. And especially uh, the infield, which yeah. can be so active at Daytona and uh, so rich with people, and to have that not be there is yeah. definitely going to be odd for sure. I was going to ask you about it, this being less international than usual because, you know, it's just as you said, it's harder for drivers from Europe to come over here. But at the same time, we still have uh, we still have Formula One talent coming in ex-Formula One driver Kevin Magnuson, um, Robert Kubica, and um, we have NASCAR talent and other people coming. Does this race feel any less international to you than years past? No. I mean, the quality of drivers that now are attracted to racing IMSA is really phenomenal. And they've got guys that from all the different disciplines coming and everybody wants to win that Rolex watch. And it's not, it's not so much, you know, these guys need the money. It's they, they want that prestige of winning that watch. And so IMSA has done a really good job of promoting that whole atmosphere around, around the race. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, I don't know how involved usually, you know, I'm very heavily involved on the on the Rolex side with entertaining their dealers and stuff, and I don't think they're going to do that this year. So, uh, I think the Rolex presence of the of the people from from uh, New York are probably going to be, you know, reduced considerably. So, sure. and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to have the Rolex dinner because they just, you know, they, they just can't do that because there's so many people all jammed into a, a big room. So sure. the uh, road racing drivers club meeting has been canceled. That was a big dinner that they had at the 500 club. So all these thing, all these events that you normally went to are suddenly not there anymore, which is too bad because I think everybody looked forward to those, but you know, it is what it is. You gotta, you gotta be careful and you just can't do things that, um, put everybody at at jeopardy. And it's still a whole heck of a lot better than not holding the race at all. And I just, I I so very much appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with me about the race. Hurley, thank you so much. Um, you know, my podcast listeners were, we mostly talk about formula one, but this is in a lot of ways, this is, the opening season for every major form of road racing, including Formula One. So I, I feel it's very appropriate. And IMSA is just growing, just as you said, it's growing in prestige every year um, to become extremely prominent again. So thank you so yeah. much for talking. Yeah, I, this is a good time to be, once we get by this COVID thing, uh, racing is really going to be uh, kick-ass. I mean, everybody's going to really get on board and we'll have great races, great cars, great, you know, drivers. So it'll be better than ever. Early Haywood. Thank you so very much. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Always great talking to you. Here's a question. Yes. Uh, Who do you think is going to win in GTE? Ooh, well, this is a wonderful way to jump back into uh, the conversation. I hope you liked the interview with Hurley Haywood. I think that BMW will repeat. Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think that. I mean, because you, you know, Corvette is going to put on a really strong show. They would be the other mm-hmm. people I think about. But I'm still think about all the things you said at the top of the podcast about all the changes going on there. There might be some fissures in the foundation of that place. Mm-hmm. You know, Porsche not having a full factory effort, while the teams, uh, you know, Proton and WeatherTech could indeed be formidable. I'm nervous that they'll be really have the full might of Porsche behind them to get going. And, you know, Ray Hall Letterman is the tried and true steady as she goes ship in this whole thing. And, uh, you know, they have top line drivers and, uh, one of them is a good friend of mine. So, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hope that John Edwards gets another Rolex. My money might be on, I mean, I don't bet on racing cause I know I watch it enough to know I could never predict the results, but if I did, I'm, 
might have a flutter on Reese. Because every time Ooh, they've turned the up Ferrari. to a race, yeah, nice. every time they show up for like a partial season and just the odd race here or there, they tend to do quite well. That's very true. That's very true. Robin, I have some breaking news here for you. Do you have a break news? Well, it's not breaking news because someone else already broke it. But do you want some news for your podcast? Yeah, this, sure. This Let's might, let, hold on. Important. Let me make a breaking news. Uh, let me make like a little breaking news sound like jung jung jung. All right, go for it. Apparently, NBC Sports is going to be shuttered by the end of this year. Which, if you <laughs> like racing, like we do, oh jeez, this is the channel that most of the good racing is on. Yeah, no, and Lee Diffie and crew have done a good job. Oh, I, I have to hide every time I'm in the same place as Lee Diffie. <laughs> There's a story there. I'll tell you uh, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you'd like to tell it on air, I'm all ears. If you'd well, like to wait, sure. I, uh, I, I got really upset after a couple of years of um, NBC cramming so much B-roll and like long advert breaks into F1 races that I sat down with three races and a stopwatch and I timed how many minutes after the start of the race, like after the lights go out and the green flag, you know, in the racing, how many minutes per race did they throw away for like B-roll either side of the commercial breaks? Um, and I wrote an article about it saying, NBC, you're killing F1 with all these adverts. Um, so yeah, now I have to hide if Lee Diffie is in the same room as me. I don't think he liked that. So, sorry, Lee. I know that you probably don't get to decide, you know, how much. But let's face it, when F1 went to ESPN and then now there's no commercial interruption at all in the sport, my enjoyment of F1 racing has gone up so much. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was extremely lucky on our part because we, we as Americans, went from, went from you know, a few people in a booth in Atlanta Mm-hmm. talking about it and they were experts and they did a great job for what they had and you know will buxton was an excellent I, pit reporter to, and to be fair to them in when the bbc used to cover formula one back in the 90s um a lot of times like in, they actually also used to do a lot of that remotely or maybe more so in the 80s and early 90s but like murray walker and james hunt i believe you know used to record in a studio they weren't always live at the races but yeah, yeah. it was uh it was difficult because they were three guys in, a, you know, in, in Charlotte. Yeah, exactly. And, okay, so so it was Atlanta. Perhaps it, that was the CBS slash Speed era mm-hmm. when it then, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when it was uh, that crew. But I have some hope that another net will will pick it up. I think maybe maybe NBC just jumped in just a little too deeply into it and spent too much mm-hmm. too early. And uh, you know, a new ex- exec came on and uh, decided to. To chop that line item. Yep. Yeah. So, but uh, let's let's end on a happier note than that. Uh, Where, where, who do you like for overall? I'll tell you what would be interesting. I don't think it's going to happen. You know what would be interesting is if if, uh, an LMP2 car, if if the entire, if the entire DPI field ran into problems and one of the LMP2s won, that would be, uh, that'd be weird anyway. Like high class could win it. <laughs> uh, Robert yeah. Kubica and then Ferdinand Habsburg. I definitely want to see Kubica do well. I, I have mm. that. I have that interest, but that's not a prediction of any kind. Yeah, no. I think I think it's probably going to be a Cadillac that wins. Um, and I don't know if it's. The, it'll, I would say pr- I'd like it to be the Ally car. Uh, I, just because the Mustang sampling car is 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 won plenty by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm I'm gonna say that I think that uh, I think an Acura is gonna pull it off. I think uh, I'm gonna give it to uh, Wayne Taylor. Oh, Racing. can I ch- can I change my vote? Can I change my vote? <laughs> sure. Can I ch- I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the other Acura because AJ AJ is racing in that car uh, and he has an adorable cat called Mr. Tickles. Me is this AJ Almendinger? It is AJ Almendinger. Okay. He is in the he is in the Maya Shank car with. Montoya and Dane Cameron and Olivier Pla. And you are a motorsports fan, fan second to being a fan of cats. Uh, I'd say they're probably uh, equal equal first. You know, if you could fit a cat with slick tires and a wing, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if I <laughs> if I uh, find a useful way to use that knowledge, I will do such things. But uh, I want to... You're an engineer, Robin. You can make it work. This is true. I, I'll get right on that. Um, uh, I, so next week, um, I'm going to jump into 
more IMSA coverage as well. It might come a little later so we can talk about the results of the 24 hours of Daytona or the Rolex 24 at Daytona or that race that happens in Florida, whatever you want to call it. So that'll come next. And then after that, Christopher Roche and I are going to jump headfirst into Formula One preseason stuff and all the news that is going on there. Um, until then, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes, and I mean that very seriously. That helps us out a ton. Or on whatever platform you get our podcast, please leave comments on the episodes of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars, and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Jonathan Gitlin, you make an excellent uh, Brit to talk about racing with. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. So he's been tied to a Porsche for 40 years. Do you, do you think they'll untie him at some point so he can sit down? <laughs> you, can cut, you can cut that out, but it's, it's a bad um, that might sorry, that might make it that might make it into the post credits part of the show as long as you approve. <laughs> Go for it. I bought this cool Tony Hayward uh, coffee table book at Daytona two years ago. Mm. And it's still sitting in my office, and I still haven't read it. It's, uh, I don't know I should, that I really know so that much about it, coffee or tables. No, but you know it is it is it is a book so. Ah. Okay, fair point, strong point. One out out of three is not bad. (laughs) 